Hello and welcome back to the Tune Lighting Podcast, the podcast where myself and my bandmate, Jack Edwards, who should be on the line, I think. I am. I am. Hi, Hi Jack. Hi. I'm here. <laughs> Don't worry. Good. We are trying to write and produce a musical album in just one year. And uh, we're about four months in now, I think, are we? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, just over. Track. April 2nd, I think. Just over I? four months. God. So a third of the way into the project um, of this 365-day uh, project. So the clock really is ticking. Um, we took the executive decision to reduce the number of episodes to every other week, at least for now, um, because otherwise we'll just end up with lots of podcasts at the end and no album. I mentioned to you that I actually signed up to a course, which um, is an online course. Uh, but the idea is that you, by the end of it, you should have three finished tracks. So it was that idea of getting some stuff finished um, that appealed to me. And it's kind of based on this. You get a lot of feedback from the other people that are doing the course. So I thought four months into the project, maybe I'll I'll try and finish a few of the ideas that are kind of early stage ideas, get some feedback and uh, and do that. So it is good. And it's force, it, it is kind of a task to do every single day. Uh, work on your songs every single day so yeah maybe by the next podcast i should have a finished song which is who knows what it'll be like but that's that's something that is exciting that's not the only breakthrough rob's made uh, this week i can i can tell you (laughs) listeners that he stood up he has not sat down yeah he's got a little soundproof uh, um, what would you what would you call that it's like a shield it's called a, vo- a vocal booth, a vocal booth, but it's yeah, it's it's basically a vocal. She, I think booth is a is a slightly way of marketing lingo, but that's uh, yeah, slightly generous. What it is is a sort of three sided piece of metal with foam in in it, really that attaches to the microphone stand. But the only microphone stand I've got is a full size microphone stand, so um, yeah, sitting down wasn't an option. So I've stood up. Dancing around whilst making this this episode, and we do have an even bigger piece of news we can share. Even bigger than that. Even bigger. Even bigger than, than the fact that I'm stood than up. the fact that Rob is stood up to record the podcast. We have, after much debate, chosen a band name. <gasps> our fir- our very have? first or second episode, I think, was about band names, and uh, yeah, it was. I think it was episode three. We proceeded to completely forget about it at that point. But we came back to it. We thought, right, how are we expected to progress with an album if we don't even have a name? Yeah. And actually, I have been asked by a couple of people, um, well, and on this course that I mentioned before, you know, what's, you say you're working on a project, what's the what's the band name? What's the, is it, is it a solo thing? And I'm like, no, we don't really have a name yet. So I thought it's time to put a name on it uh, and then we can start. We've got the podcast as one thing. The Tune Lighting Podcast is, is a thing on its own rather than the music being directly associated with it all the time you know having its own entity so yes drum roll <laughs> the name we have chosen is the bear tax it's it's when there's no like a reaction i know i'm live, expecting applo- i'm expecting imagining applause from homes across the country um yeah as well as well, we think it's a good name in it, on its own merit, but it is a reference. Snappy. It's a reference to something. Um, should we let people figure out what the reference is? <laughs> should we explain it? Yeah. No, no. It is a reference. Um, and if you... Type it into Google, it'll it, probably come up. Yeah. But I didn't want it to be an obvious reference. No, uh, I, I quite mean... like the idea of a name being a reference that some people might get 
or quite a few people might get, but others might not. But I still like the name on its own merit as well. So, so yeah, that's we're why we're pretty happy in the end. We're pretty happy with it. Um, hopefully, we will stick to our guns and not change our mind and absolutely hate it next week. But yeah, we've we've got a name, and it's not a piece of music, but I still count it as progress. And uh, the idea is, well, you know, we'll set up things like social media, SoundCloud, whatever it is these days, Bandcamp in that name and then that's where we can put our tracks so if people want to go and listen to anything that's kind of finished we might be able to put some demo stuff on there rather than just constantly teasing stuff on the podcast we can tell people to go to various places to listen so as the main part of this episode and what we're going to focus on this week uh, it's something that me and jack have spoke about before i'm not sure if it's on the podcast or not but it's the idea of what makes an album good what causes certain albums to be critically acclaimed what makes certain albums win awards uh you know this is something that we should probably think about right jack (laughs) yeah and with this in mind um we are going to dedicate this episode to the mercury music prize the nominees for which were announced a couple of weeks ago and in britain it's open to artists of british and irish nationality it's an annual prize it's been going since 1992 um so it's nearly 30 years old and i'm right saying it's quite it's quite a prestigious prize isn't it, it is it is yeah i don't know how well known it is in the u.s or i think they have but... other countries i think canada has a polaris prize which is a similar thing ah, australia okay. has a, a music prize for just their nationality so it's yeah it's a model that's sort of uh, replicated throughout the world but as most people will know britain has a, a strong musical heritage uh, all kinds of genres so the, the competition is usually pretty fierce i mean that's the thing isn't it you can it can be any genre i guess that's what makes it quite interesting is as something to look into is you know any genre can win and it's so it's more about what makes a a good album in general what constitutes an original piece of artwork if it, as it were uh, rather than just an award that looks at just rock music or looks at just the best rap music for example Right, exactly. Um, is the shortlist is usually pretty diverse, uh, and this year is no different. There are obviously trends in each year of uh, music that is particularly prominent. Um, this year, there seems to be more out-and-out pop music than in past years, I would suggest. Um, but there's also a bit of jazz, a bit of indie, uh, a bit of grime. There's there's a wide spectrum. Is there like a kind of judging criteria that they look at for, or is it just and and how is it judged? Who who is involved in judging it? What yeah, yeah so it, like it has it is, to have the most originality or whatever. It is a that's a great question. Um, yeah, we should address this. What makes a Mercury Prize winning album? And um, there doesn't seem to be any one thing. I believe their website just says it's awarded to the best British album of the year. Um, and it's right. chosen by a panel of judges who are not sure how many there are. There's a couple of dozen, maybe, who are people. Some of them are artists themselves or label executives. Yeah, I mean, there tends to be a leaning towards newer albums, debut albums, second albums, that sort of thing, rather than the established acts. And originality is usually well received. Hmm. Uh, but again, not always. Sometimes completely left field choices win sometimes the favorite wins 
sometimes it's quite often to be fair it's quite often something that captures the zeitgeist for kind of trends that are going on at the time yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that yeah it captures the moment quite well or what what is being listened to the kind of best example of what is in yeah what is in the trend at that current time so that's that's usually something to look for when um when predicting who's going to win but like i say there have been some very left field choices i mean looking down list of previous winners You've got some big, big names like Arctic Monkeys, um, next to people like Speech to Bell, Benjamin Clementine, who were rank outsiders when they won. Yeah. Um, Skeptors won it. But recently. for both of those cases, I it it was the Mercury Prize that introduced me to those artists. I hadn't heard of them. Anthony the Johnsons is one I remember as well. I guess that kind of speaks to the the clout that well at least in my life anyway <laughs> that the mercury prize has uh because it's uh yeah it's catapulted those people into my uh into my thinking and that's yeah that's a good point because for, as well as a shiny trophy the winner gets uh, a financial prize i think it's about twenty five thousand pounds which for an up-and-coming band is obviously a big deal um so yeah, whilst i, I don't I think realize that i don't think it's explicitly the case that uh new bands are kind of favored um i think there is sort of a an unspoken understanding that all being equal let's use this prize to recognize some new talent so we thought it would be a good idea first of all to have a quick run through of the 12 nominees see what we think of them i must say uh before we get into it how much i have enjoyed actually going through and i would say i'm definitely guilty sometimes of dismissing albums before i've even given them a chance or maybe i'll listen to the odd track and decide it's not for me but i really did sit down and kind of concentrate and and listen through each one of them and and listen with a bit more of a producer's ear perhaps than i have done in the past and well we'll come on to it but i think the pop albums in particular i really found interesting this coming at them from a bit of a a different perspective to perhaps i would have done in the past indeed yeah me too um yeah i was, I was going to say we we've listened to them all we're obviously not experts on them all um we don't know the <laughs> don't know all the lyrics by heart um but we have we have given them a good go so these are our uh our initial thoughts i suppose all right so f- uh, first on the list is the album fibs by anna meredith who is a scottish composer she was actually the former bbc scottish symphony orchestra composer in residence uh, so she's done a lot of soundtrack work and stuff. What are your takeaways from this album? This, for me, was probably probably the one that stuck in my head the most. Not in terms of how catchy it was, but just it stood out. The first track, I mean, just jumps like it just hit me. I, I put it on in the car, pretty loud, uh, and it's pretty in your face. Like there's a lot going on. I think I'd, by, the, by the time I'd listened to the whole album, I almost felt tired. I was <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's such a, the experience is, it's intense. It's like, uh, there's so much going on. I mean, 
it's just it's just unusual and and different and yeah I, I really I really did enjoy it I think my kind of one thing I did pick out that I if I'm looking at what I think makes a really great album was that I thought it didn't really feel like a, a flowing album that went from track to track it was like a an insane groove of different tr- different sounding tracks that with all sorts of different instruments like god no, I lost count I was trying at one point to kind of keep track of what was on there I'm sure she must use hundreds of different synths and it was pretty mad <laughs> that's my yeah my I mean, but yeah I really enjoyed it what did you think my feelings were pretty similar I actually discovered Anna Meredith at some point in the past 12 months by chance uh, so I was really pleased to see this album nominated it's it's absolutely mental um <laughs> Like you say, there's synths in there, but there's acoustic instruments, there's a lot of brass, there's overlapping uh, kind of key signatures, there's sort of a tracks change on a sixpence, um, take, go in completely different directions. Some of them have got vocals and are almost conventional in their structure, but others are completely instrumental. And yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's it's hard, to, it's hard to explain, but the especially the up-tempo tracks and the really kind of dense, musically dense tracks are quite exhilarating. Do you know what it reminded me of um, more than anything, actually? A couple of the tracks, and I think it's the synth sound that she uses, but um, Snowboard Kids, the uh, <laughs> the N64, and maybe it was on the PlayStation 2 game from the mid-90s, would it be? Maybe earlier. Yeah, it's, um, about, yeah. it's got this kind of, the synth noise sound that she uses, this is very intense kind of, uh, but very happy kind of major key sound. It's like, doo, 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 and it just reminds me of a video game kind of soundtrack and that video game in particular. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really sound like songs, I guess. It sounds it sounds more like video game music. I guess that is a good way of putting it. Um, to be honest, I think this is one of the most, if not the most original albums on the list. Um, mm. And for that alone, I think it deserves great praise. Agreed. What have we got next? All right, next one is Charlie XCX, How I'm Feeling Now. Now, this one I found very interesting and probably the most relevant to us because not only did she write it and record it in six weeks over lockdown. Very impressive. Making us look like shit. Yeah, (laughs) absolute chumps here taking a year. Uh, Not only did she do it that quickly, but she specifically set herself a deadline um, of May the 15th this year which uh, apparently she only just made which shows you what can be done with that kind of focus and and a deadline to work to it's kind of a very modern pop album, lots of little samples, chopped up beats processed vocals, bits mm. of auto-tune all used for kind of artistic effects. But what did you think? <laughs> I liked it it's, it's one of those, I say it's ultra modern I wouldn't, because you know, people have been doing this sort of thing, herself included, for a few years. I wouldn't say it's it's revolutionary, but um, yeah. But the production is interesting, and I'm again very impressed at the, the speed in which it was done. So, as a kind of time capsule of the start of lockdown, um, that's you know mm. that sort of sets it apart. Yeah, I did know that it was. I should have known. I was going to say I'm shocked at how quickly it was done, but I knew it was done during lockdown, so I probably should have realised it was going to be fairly quick. But uh, yeah, I, I really liked this. I, I thought, again, I haven't really listened to Charlie XCX much apart from the hearing on the radio, the kind of big hits, as it were. But um, yeah, it, it, I, I found as maybe the most or definitely up there out of all the albums that are nominated, cohesive 
Uh, I like the fact that she uses auto-tune on pretty much every track. So that kind of creates a, a motif, almost like a, a running theme throughout it, which is really cool. just thought the production was really cool and interesting and loads of chopped up bits small vocal snippets and stuff that uh, bounced around and yeah it's really good and there's there's some some kind of contrast between between uh, some softer tracks and some some quite heavy dark kind of distorted tracks in in places i i thought it was really good and some of them i've listened to a few times this one only once but i felt like i'll definitely go back and listen to it in a bit more detail probably from a with again with a producer's ear yeah it's a, it is a pop album but it's um not one that's kind of instantly rewarding i'd say in terms of getting the full appreciation of everything that's going on mm. in the track all right uh next we're in a little run of pop albums here Dua Lipa, future nostalgia i you know i, I was aware of Dua Lipa. there's a couple of songs of hers that i could identify and i knew she was getting sort of really big but it was only when listening to this album and other songs of hers on Spotify I realised how many I'd actually heard of before. Basically all the mm. dance floor ready radio on bangers are her these days. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it was kind of a, a tour de force of danceable club songs really. As an album, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I would listen to all day, every day. Ever again. Ever again. <laughs> no, I, th- I thought it was all right. Um, the title, Future Nostalgia, I wondered if that would be kind of a, a clue to the sound of the album. It sort of is. It's kind of in a kind of a way that Daft Punk sort of take retro sort of 70s yeah. sounds and then modernize them with kind of ro- robotic influences. There's a little bit of that going on, but I... See, I, I think I think they'll be they'll be disappointed because I think they very much were trying to do that. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so the fact that that's that's uh, kind of not quite hit home, I think uh, they'll be they'll be disappointed. I don't know. I that's that was just my take. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd put it this way. I don't. I don't think she's someone that needs to win this prize. She doesn't need the twenty five thousand pounds. <laughs> She'll do quite well without it. Um, and yeah. yeah, I don't. It's you know. If you like this sort of music, then I would say it's one of the one of the best examples. But um, for me, it's not kind of original enough. I would say to warrant the price. Yeah. So yeah, I've been nerding out uh, a bit recently on kind of pop music production. I think Dua Lipa is Dua Lipa songs come up quite a bit in YouTube videos and uh, podcast kind of breaking down what makes a pop song good or what makes a pop song catchy and you know, subtle tricks that they use these top producers use in terms of eq in certain areas to make certain things sound 
more lively or more happy and things like that. So I've picked up quite a lot of interesting tips, which maybe will apply. And maybe I'll apply to the album um, in terms of that. But yeah, so so from a production side of things, I did kind of find it interesting to listen to. Apart from that, I, I yeah, I kind of agree with what you said. There were some good songs on there, lots of nice pop songs, lots of catchy songs. But as a, an album, as a kind of whole thing, uh, it didn't really match up to a lot of the other ones that are, are nominated. But I do think kind of with the name and some of the sounds that they were going for, they were trying to make a kind of cohesive album that had a running theme through it. So the the use of a lot of the kind of 80s sounds, so there's quite a bit of disco elements in there in terms of some of the guitars uh, and the synth sounds they use and pads and stuff kind of had an 80s Five. So I think that was what they were going for when they said future nostalgia. Uh, I, wrote, I made a couple of notes for this album though, because uh, I wasn't driving at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, the main thing I wrote was, um, is this album the point where a using 80s retro synths reached peak lame? Scathing. Um, <laughs> Um, but that wasn't more because I didn't like it. It was just the fact that you know, Dua Lipa is always is already a massive artist, as you said. She's had loads of number one hits, and the fact that they know that that's what people like and this kind of these synth sounds, these eighties synth sounds, and that that made me think, oh, here, here we go. We've reached it. We've reached the peak of like uncool again because it's in fully in the mainstream now. It's not it's not on the sidelines anymore. <laughs> And then quickly to finish, I wrote uh, Levitating was quite fun, interesting vocal melodies, except it was ruined by the line, my sugar boo. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I also wrote Love Again was an absolute banger. Sample very fun and very catchy. But that's pretty much it. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, <laughs> next album is Georgia Seeking Thrills. And this is the second album from the... Uh, London producer and singer-songwriter. I would say this, of all the pop, uh, out-and-out pop records, this one surprised me the most in a good way. I'd only heard, I think, one single about Work the Dance Floor um, on the radio. Yeah, same. And I thought it was fine, but wasn't quite sure where the hype was coming from. But I, I really enjoyed the album as a whole. Uh, it's a bit more... A bit more unusual than I was expecting. So as well as having kind of big hooks, big choruses and strong melodies, were some unusual sounds in there. Um, almost kind of metronomy-esque, weird little uh, mm. little flourishes. Yeah, there's a song called Ray Guns, which I enjoyed, which has almost got a kind of tribal voodoo-like beat. Right, uh, reminded me of MIA or someone like that. Um, yeah, I, I wrote down kind of Bangra. Is that right? Bangra? <laughs> I'm being really ignorant here. Kind of vibes to it, that song. was I think another song next to it on the album called which has got a great name called Ultimate Sailor which was more of a ballad but he's sort of ethereal simps very little percussion and 
I found that just as effective. So um, yeah, in, enjoyed enjoyed the album. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah, I thought. I mean, I will say Georgia again. I'd only heard the one song. Someone that I came across for the first time really uh, during this process of listening to this album. So I just thought I assumed she would be really young, kind of just breaking onto the scene. But it turns out she's actually our age. So encouraging doing it for the slightly older than. I mean, not that we're old, but you know, it's it's encouraging. Um, yeah, I mean, I think she's worked. She has like drummed for Kate Tempest, I believe, or she, oh, she's right. she's been in other bands. She's been in the music scene, so she's not just come out of nowhere. Yeah, but yeah, I, I really loved it. I think it kind of reminded me of some of the early 2000s kind of sound Robin was something someone that kind of popped into my head quite a bit similar vocal style similar kind of synth sound and stuff uh but yeah I thought it was a really cool pop album couple of when it started to feel a little bit safe after a few tracks and I thought oh this could get a bit boring then like you say there was tracks like Ray Guns that would just change the direction and made it interesting again and yeah I definitely got to the end of it thinking I could listen to the album again straight away, which I think is always a good sign. Do you know if it was self-produced as well, or is that? I always, I don't know why. I always just, well, I guess because we're doing it, I always find it extra interesting if they. Um, if she is a producer. Her bio has her down as a producer, so I'd imagine that she did at least. We'll go with a yes. Large we'll give her the credit. That's a she- well done, Georgia. <laughs> good, good production. All right, moving on to something a bit different. Uh, Kano hoodies or summer. So Kano is uh, something of a uh, elder statesman now on the UK rap and grime scene. I think this is his sixth album. He was Mercury nominated for the last one as well, but um, he's followed it up with Hoodies All Summer. Lyrically, you know, he's got things to say. He kind of addresses um, numerous issues, knife crime, gentrification, police brutality gets a mention. So there's, there's kind of anger there, but it's sort of controlled anger. Um, I, I enjoy his uh, his delivery. It's sort of it's slightly different to a lot of the grime delivery that you hear. In yeah, kind of I, I feel I like it's, it's... I feel like I want to listen to what he's got to say. Production was quite interesting as well. It tends to feature a lot of pianos, quite summery pianos. Tracks like "Can't Hold We Down," "Trouble," there's gospel cries in there as well. Going back to album titles, reflecting the music again. I think "Hoodies All Summer" is quite apt in a sense for as some pretty summery sounding beats um, and sort of mm. quite airy pianos with more serious uh, subject matters. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really look at the um, album titles probably as much as I should because we have said that that is an important part of a great album and things like the artwork as well. Um, really, just focused on the listening this time around. But yes, yeah, that's that is a good point. Probably wasn't intending that as a commentary on the music, but that's something I took away from it. <laughs> For a real one, I don't mean a gun finger, but a real one. Them free butcher, we was raised on a real dance. Not all these rocks, clock little sums. Nah, black suit like I'm dressed for a killing. Stepping at my auntie, something fresh, she be whipping. All black Range Rover, all black women. I bet the daily mail won't photoshop a spliffing. Hey, this one ain't got the summer run smash. Couple hundred plus vat, do your fucking quick maps. Set a character to guess, but it's facts, cuz I was in Iganaparin Death Club. You can ask the yeah, I really enjoyed uh, the album as well. I think, like you say, he has a really interesting way of delivering. I've, I have listened to 
Kano in the past, Bits and Bobs, never really sat down and properly listened to a full one of his albums. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, well, that's a thumbs up for Kano. Lanterns on the Lake, the album Spook the Herd. Now, this was a band that I, the name is kind of familiar, uh, but I'd never listened to any of their music before. The Newcastle Five mm. piece, I think this is their fourth album. So it's one of the um, few guitar acts that get represented here. Um, it's not a particular. Is that just a reflection of the times, or is, well, I was going to say, I think, I think, probably, yeah, it probably is. Um, in this past years, looking down the list of nominations, where kind of guitar music, indie music, has been the prominent feature, um, and sometimes that's been reflected in who ends up winning. But I, at the moment, it's kind of more in the background. Very atmospheric is the first word I wrote down. Lots of lots of reverb in the guitar. Um, bit of fuzz but it's quite a smooth sound despite the um mm. despite the kind of distortion and things it's the the female vocals uh help um there's a sense of sort of peace and, and beauty yeah definitely got a a sound Don't down They're, they're, I had kind of felt a sense of guilt almost because I, I had never heard of them before this nomination. And I, I thought, you know, fourth album, I really wish I'd come across them earlier. And I think it kind of was more reflective of the kind of music I was listening to maybe three or four years ago. I was kind of had a bit of a phase where this kind of atmospheric, almost folky kind of sound um I was, I was listening to a lot too and i think i would have really engaged with it then and that's not to say that i didn't like it now or listen or would enjoy listening to it now but i think it, i almost felt a, a sense of sadness in a way that i hadn't come across them earlier it definitely didn't hit me hard and made me think wow this is like original and really memorable but it was it was nice it was nice that's such a horrible thing to say yeah it sounds no sounds like damning with, nice damning with faint praise um no, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. I think it's hard when you've listened to all the other albums and you, maybe you're thinking about originality a bit more and maybe more modern production techniques. Uh, it was just slightly more safe, I guess, but I, I still, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Um, I would, I would listen to it again. I imagine they're one of those bands who, if you see live, kind of surprise you with sort of how. This is complete conjecture. Mm. How loud they are and how kind of <laughs> rocky they are. I know me and you went to see um, Band of Horses a few years ago. Uh, and yeah, they've, yeah. they've kind of got a not dissimilar sound to this Lanterns on the Lake album. Um, yeah, give them a lot of reverb. A country voice and you probably, yeah, you would yeah. have a very similar sound, yeah. And I was just struck by how in a live setting, even though the songs didn't change that much, when everything's kind of amped up and you coming at you from all sides it's kind of really impactful and atmospheric and i think this is an album that although 
I would look at it as a kind of soft, gentle album in some ways. It's probably best at played at high volume. Yeah. Well, I'll go back and listen to it at a higher volume. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think they may be one of those bands where after I've seen them live, it might change my mind and I may go back and listen to the album differently. Okay, album number seven is Laura Marling, Song for Our Daughter. Now, this is her seventh album. She's, I think, barely older than we are, but she's on her seventh album and fourth Mercury nomination, which is joint second most or joint third most in Mercury history. But she's not won it. She's not won it. Never won it. Oh. Maybe this will be the year. She's, I mean, I can't imagine she's particularly bothered. But um, I think so that's very impressive. Not a nomination they, that many times. Very impressive. She yeah. must be doing something right. Well, she's... I mean, of, of all the artists on this list, she's the one I know by far the most. Um, as the, the figures would suggest, she's just incredibly consistent. Songwriting first and foremost, but she has a great voice and... Um, Probably an underrated guitarist as well. In terms of quality, I'd say this new album is more of the same. Um, slight tweaks musically. It's probably a bit less less bluesy. There's nothing too rocky on there. Possibly more stripped back in places. Just kind of gentle acoustic guitar and a few strings. Some of the songs are a bit more kind of cinematic in a, a low-key way. Do you think that's because this is, I mean, from the title alone and from the lyrical content, it's quite a personal album i'm guessing so that's kind of reflected in the music and the the feel of the album it definitely is out of all the albums felt like one of the most cohesive and one of the albums that felt like most like a piece of art um as, as a as a whole out of all the ones that i listened to yeah so interestingly um she doesn't actually have a daughter um but <laughs> <laughs> i think she was she said that because she was getting to the age where she you know she might start thinking about having children um she you know began to wonder about the world that her daughter might inhabit and the advice that she would she would give to her so that's was definitely a kind of motherly i mean right, she's okay. Laura Marling's always kind of displayed sort of worldly wisdom beyond her years even since she was <laughs> sort of 17 anyway but it's definitely a kind of right. a motherly uh, vibe to a couple of her tracks um I know another, another of the tracks, Fortune, was does have a personal connection. Um, it's when she discovered that her mother kept a jar of coins uh, in case she, you know, ever needed to run away from her family and start a new life. Apparently, there was only about seventy-five quid in there by the end, so probably not enough. You spent all that money that your mama had saved. Told. She kept it for running away Never quite found the right way to say I'm sorry my darling My mind it has been changed Release me from this unbearable I wouldn't say that this is her, her masterpiece because I feel like she's written a lot of masterpieces, but uh, well worthy of a nomination. And I would, would predict that she won't win, but she's, I think, about four favourite with the bookies at the moment, so you never know. What were your thoughts? Okay. 
Yeah, no, I, I think, again, as with Lanterns on the Lake, I think it's an album I listened to, enjoyed, but made me think I need to go back and listen to some of the other albums because perhaps this isn't her best or maybe it's not the album that I will connect with the most or that I will like the most. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really enjoyable. As I said, I kind of thought it was as a piece of art, as a, as a whole album and the themes running through it lyrically and musically, I thought it flowed really nicely. Okay, Michael Kiwanuka, his third album entitled Kiwanuka. This is actually his third nomination as well, so he's three for three, um, yet to win. That's pretty, pretty but, good. But that's a strong, a strong run of uh, nominations there. And I believe, last time I checked, this was the current favourite to win. I think maybe I appreciate it more than I enjoy it. Um, yes, I can tell both kind of lyrically and musically. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's um, a seamless blend of styles. There's definitely soul there, funk. Um, I think I probably enjoy the up-tempo numbers more. Um, uh, you Ain't the Problem, the lead single, Hero, tracks like that. I've got strong beats and very kind of classic guitar. I live the lie, love is the crime, it's you I believe in. No need to blame myself, no need to die, I'm only human. I'm done, you got to put me on, I know what you come along. Don't hesitate, time heals the pain, you ain't the problem. Again, heavy, heavy topics are touched upon. Um, historic racism, self-doubt, and uh, finding your your place in the world. Um, mm. It's not the best indicator of how good an album is, but it's not one that I finished and wanted to go back and listen to again, uh, even yeah. though it probably is an album that you do need to listen to multiple times to get the best out of it. Yeah. I think I agree with pretty much every, everything you said. I think Michael Kiwanuka is an artist I have listened to a lot, unlike Laura Marling and uh, and other artists we've talked about so far. Um, so I am aware of his other albums. And I think that is what made this album a little... Uh, disappointing is probably a strong word, but because I, I really enjoyed his last two albums, like, I think they thoroughly deserved the nominations. I think because of that, just this just fell a little short for me in terms of I just didn't enjoy it as much as as these other two albums um it just I found myself getting almost a little bit bored in the middle of it and it did pick itself up again towards the end but yeah just it just um (laughs) that's all that's all I can say really but I did take away some there was definitely some really interesting bits on there some kind of psychedelic rock rock vibes in um i've been dazed and some kind of gritty almost grungy guitars I, it kind of reminded me written down it kind of reminded me almost of eddie vedder or pearl jam um in some of those in uh the piano joint intro track with the kind of delayed guitar so some really cool elements in there it kind of struck me as an album that like this guy's made it now he's got access to anyone he wants any studio in the world he wants. So he's got like his gospel choirs. He's got amazing people probably playing bass and drums for him. It felt like it was an album made by the best people in the best studio. And that's kind of almost what lost a bit of the 
ironically, lost a bit of the soul, I guess, and heart for me um, compared to some of the old other albums. Uh, the next album is Moses Boyd, Dark Matter. This is not someone I'd heard of before. Um, there is such a thing in Mercury nomination world as the token jazz album. Um, <laughs> Why did they actually refer to it as that? They don't refer to it as that. Just... It's not like the, <laughs> not like the legends like Glastonbury. They have one every year. Um, no, I think some kind of critics have sort of said, well, this is an album that however much it may deserve to be there is kind of just put on the list to pay lip service to the genre and doesn't really stand a chance of winning. However, from from what I've read uh, so far, this album stands more of a chance than most. It seems fairly high up on the uh, on my list of favourites. Um, so I obviously went in with a completely uh, blank slate, didn't know anything about the guy. Um, apparently he's mm. he's a drummer uh, amongst everything else, So he, and the drumming is quite front and centre on this album. Lots of fast yeah. drumming, very hypnotic, and with some fairly traditional jazz instrumentals propelled by, again, this, this fast syncopated beat, um, mixed in with some almost kind of club-ready tracks, uh, I've written Burial-esque for a couple of uh, couple of tracks, especially mm. ones that have guest vocals. Um, and some of them have kind of quite dark and foreboding vibes to them. enjoyed it um a mix of styles from just jazz to a bit of trip hop in there arguably a bit of funk a bit of afrobeat like anna meredith occasional vocals occasional guest vocals but uh also instrumentals and yeah a, a good blend yeah i don't think I, that was a very good summary i don't think i have much more to to add really as someone who's not a massive jazz aficionado as it were yeah, uh, it was, it, it's always interesting to listen to to these albums uh, as you say there's quite often a token jazz album so it's one of the few times i'll delve into the into the world um but yeah i mean i i, I thought it was really well produced really interesting a nice mixture of the old and the new i guess um <clears throat> and yeah this a kind of dark undertone to it and grittiness to it that just contrasted nice with the kind of more traditional jazz elements, I guess. So uh, yeah, re- really enjoyed it. And definitely one, I again, I've only listened to it once, but one I will be listening to much more closely, I think, again, because yeah, a couple of the tracks were like, wow, I've not heard anything really like that before. So very cool. And yeah, and an album, I think it's safe to say we wouldn't have listened to or wouldn't have listened to anytime soon without, uh, without its nomination. So that's one yeah. uh, one of the advantages of uh, the Mercury Awards. Porridge Radio, every bad. Um, the second of three kind of guitar indie bands um, on the list. It's their second album. They are a four-piece from Brighton. They remind me a lot, especially the vocal delivery of The Big Moon, who are another... Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to say someone else. 
Oh, go on. Who do you think I was going to say? <laughs> I thought you were going to say Wolf Alice. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's not something I thought of. I thought they were very much, they felt like a band in the kind of, this is probably doing them a massive disservice, but carved in the wake of kind of, of, of them, their, their success and the kind of grungy, uh, almost scree. It's, it was the kind of screaming vocals, particularly on the last couple of tracks on the album, which build and build and build, um, which remi- very much reminded me of the, uh, the vocal delivery from from Wolf Alice. This is definitely a compliment. <laughs> well, Wolf Alice are past Mercury winners. Yeah, there's a few cleaner, more danceable songs, but generally quite a rough edge to uh, to the music. Mm. Um, and lyrically, the band they really reminded me of. I was going to say before you go into the lyrics was uh, sonically was the Cure. Oh, interesting. I don't know why. Again, but um, just a couple of the tracks really made me think. That sounds like it's right. Well, maybe not necessarily the Cure, yeah, specifically, but that era, I felt like they were kind of harking to a bit. But yeah, it was uh, it's cool. Anyway, sorry, carry on. That's quite all right. Um, <laughs> I was just, just going to say on, on the lyrics and and the vocals, um, lead singer whose name I've neglected to ri- write down, unfortunately. Um, she's kind of got this gift of. Uh, Sounding like she's teetering on the edge of a breakdown, um, yeah. At one moment, and then kind of keeping it all under control the next, um, which is you know quite an, an engaging listen. Um, Dana then, Margolin is her name. Is that her name? Okay. So yeah, a, a, a good a good uh, front woman performance, definitely. Um, I would say she probably caught my attention more than more than the band, but I did enjoy the music too. kind of the lyrically and the way it's delivered um I, I agree it's kind of on that the punk spectrum of uh that angst and uh it was yeah very well executed I, I enjoyed the album I thought it was uh probably not something not really in my kind of genre that I would listen to a lot but it's uh yeah I think I think it was uh very well made and uh the final guitar band is um the only male fronted Guitar band on the list, which must make a change from uh, yeah, the girls most the, years. All, all over the awards this year, the girls are uh, yeah. I think uh, I think that was one of the kind of headlines when the nominations came out. It's very kind of female um, focused, but sports team with their album Deep Down Happy have made the cut. Uh, they're a six-piece band who met at Cambridge University. I've written down chaotic indie punk. Um, we've kind of got a very English delivery from her frontman, sort of cross between singing and speaking and shouting. Um, they they may not appreciate this comparison, but he reminded me of Ricky Wilson from the Kaiser Chiefs um, <laughs> uh, quite a lot. And mu- musically, bands like the Cribs, indie band, and also kind of more American yeah. sort of indie rock bands, Parquet Courts, and yes, other, yeah. other such music. Um, so yeah, I think this is musically not 
especially innovative. And again, it's one of those where the sort of lyrics are to the fore, uh, sort of discussing what it means to be a young person in Britain today. Lots of humour used, massive kind of anti, anti-Tory, anti-conservative message on there as well. On the, on the attack, shall we say, the lyrics are yeah. on pretty much every song. Well, they're known for their live shows, aren't they? They're, um, I would imagine more, so. More, yeah, more just just by listening to it, they uh, seem designed to sort of be jumping into sweaty mosh bits and exactly. So I think you listen to it and you think this, yeah, this this would be this is meant for be playing live, and and that's that's cool. I think they did capture that energy well in the production i think they, they did a good job of that um and i think yeah you touched on it, the humor element it's something that's really hard to do in music um and it's something that isn't done that often is to have music that isn't obviously a comedy band or comedy music and still be funny and yeah i think that that means this this album should be or this band should be held in even higher acclaim for, for pulling that off. I think, I mean, Randy Newman is someone that me and you both really like, Jack, and he's he's someone that I think does that probably better than anyone, really, is kind of having music that can make you almost uh, you know, fall over laughing but still be really yeah, amazing not, musically as well. And I think, Not be perceived yeah. as a novelty act as well. Yeah, he's not a novelty So, yeah, that, it gets boosted up in my thoughts for that reason. Uh, for the little bits of humour sprinkled through it and and yeah, very hard to do well. Okay, the last we've made it finally to the last album on the list, which is uh Stormzy's second album, Heavy as the Head. I believe this is another of the the hotly tipped favourites. So for anyone who doesn't know, Stormzy is one of the biggest artists in Britain at the moment. Headline the Glastonbury Festival. He certainly did. He's been all over the news and all over magazines and the internet for various kind of political statements and um, incidents when he's been performing live and on record of denouncing the government, things like that. So for all these reasons, as well as kind of fronting the grime movement or being one of the, the leaders of the grime movement, which has been getting big in the UK for all these reasons, he's one of the biggest and most recognisable cultural uh, icons, if you like, in the country at the moment. Mm. So this album was always going to receive a lot of attention. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mix. Um, I think when I listened to his first album originally, which is called Gang Signs and Prayer, and there is a perfect example of the album title describing the music that is on um, the record. It's yeah. kind of half and half um, grime sort of classic grime with its I, I can't remember the BPM is it 130 BPM? I don't know the classic <laughs> put me on the spot <laughs> there's, a, there's a classic uh, tempo that grime tends to be at and um, sort of staccato stabby production and then the other half was like almost gospel tracks um, kind of R&B tinged gospel um, 
in praise of the Lord. So those two facets remain on the second album as well, and there's a couple of couple of other genres thrown into a mix. Um, a bit more slicker pop R&B, I would say, on a couple of tracks. I have my reasons, life has its lessons, try to be grateful and count all my blessings, but heavy is the head that wears the crown. Amen in Jesus' name, oh yes, I claim it. Any little bread that I make, I have to break it. Brothers want to break me down, I can't take it. I've done a scholarship for the kids, they said it's racist. That's not anti-white, it's pro-black. Hang me out to dry, I won't crack. All these fancy ties and gold plaques. Never had no silver spoons in our mouths, we sold like. Yeah, so it's, I found it quite hard to digest and um, form a, a judgment on. For me, I don't think it deserves to win as the best British album of the year. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so sharp inhale of breath. But, uh, but I would say it deserves to be nominated and is, is kind of a fascinating lesson. And he, he is, even on record, um, even when you don't have his kind of six foot six or however tall he is um, frame yeah. performing in front of you, he's still kind of mesmeric uh, to listen to and he's got, Plenty of charisma. Um, Definitely has charisma. That's which sure. I think probably carries some of the weaker songs on the album. But one interesting thing I've written down, apparently it was the 16 songs on the album were recorded in 16 different studios, which I don't know if that has anything, helps to explain the kind of musical disparity on display, um, mm. but with kind of different producers and the opposite approach that most people will take they'll go for kind of one one location stick with it and uh, yeah. use the same kind of equipment for each track yeah uh, interesting to get your thoughts on this one yeah uh, i mean uh, yeah i think you you're right in terms of storms is such a part of music culture especially in the uk and in fact that he headlined glastonbury and stuff makes it's just yeah everyone knows knows him he's he, and rightly so he's he's done so much for for that genre and really thrusting it into the the mainstream uh, he he definitely wasn't the first grime artist there's been plenty before him but in terms of paving the way for for many others to follow he's he's done a lot uh, and it's crazy to think that it's only his second album i guess <laughs> it's like feels like storms he's been around for for ages uh, the album i mean this one with the album artwork it kind of he was wearing this vest that I believe, stab-proof vest, I believe. It's uh, made by Banksy. Yeah, the Union the Jack artist. vest. Yeah, so that and the kind of the fact that he's on his own art, um, album cover, um, it that reflects kind of the big personality that he is and the statements that he, he likes to make in, it, in his music. And uh, I think I actually probably preferred it slightly more as an album than the, the first album. Uh, but probably my favourite tracks he's done are on the first album. Um, I, again, I don't think it was uh, probably the most deserving of the award, but that's not to say it's uh, it's not a great album. And it's it's obviously a very influential album. He's a very influential artist to to a lot of people, so that should probably be taken into account as well. You know, you were saying at the start how albums often reflect the times, and yeah. 
and that has to play a part of it. So Stormzy's well up there with the with being say, I'd say irrelevant of all the albums, but kind of represent the times, uh, both sort of culturally, uh, musically, lyrical content. I think you'd pick Stormzy's um, as the kind of time capsule album of the moment. All right, so we've got through all 12 uh, at great length. And I'm glad that we didn't hate any of them. That would have been an awkward, because uh, nah. I really don't want to you know, alienate any potential listeners, even if they might be Mercury-nominated <laughs> artists. Um, no, I mean, they're all uh, thoroughly deserved to be nominated for one reason or another. Yeah, they all had merit. Any slagging off was incredibly mild. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed most of them. Um, and found something to enjoy in all of them. Having said that, which were your favourites? I think we've said time and time again, when we're creating our album, what we want to, we don't want to just produce something kind of not normal and we've been heard before. We want originality is a big part of it. So I have to factor that in when judging these albums. So yeah, I mean, I think it has the Anna the Anna Meredith album has to be up there for me it's the first one we spoke about it just it stuck with me the most it's the one i'll definitely be most excited about going back to and listening to again um but i don't but i don't know whether i actually liked it the most as an album as a whole album i think it as individual tracks i thought they were, mm. and as an artist someone i hadn't listened to that much definitely the most exciting my thoughts align very closely with yours on anna meredith my kind of <laughs> that's a good uh, good sign that I our think thoughts so. were yeah, aligning. Think... We're trying to produce an album together. <laughs> that is encouraging. Yeah. Um, again, I would say I think as an artist, an original artist, um, and uh, who has her own distinct style, um, I would be inclined to give her a win. Is it the best album on the list? Not sure. To be fair, like you say, there's um, there's a bit of variation in quality throughout the album and a bit of variation in styles that maybe rob it of a bit of cohesiveness. As I've said, I'm a big fan of Laura Marling. would be happy to see her win. Possibly the Kano album. Um, or Moses Boyd, mm. actually. That, that was one that... <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> I've about, about three away from him. <laughs> I've named nearly half of them. Um, I'll, I'll give, it to, give it to Anna Meredith. My top three would be Moses Boyd, Anna Meredith, and... It's between Kano and Charlie XCX. I've, I think just based on the fact that she did it in such a short period of time and I thought it was just, it was one of the ones that made me stop and listen. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, it stood out the most to me, I, I think. So those would be my top three. Gun to your head, have to pick one. I'm going to go for Moses Boyd if I had to pick one because it was, it, I just think, give it to the token jazz person. <laughs> yeah. A worthy winner. Very, very modern Yet classical, really interesting. So to finish, we've got a bit of trivia slash a quiz. Woo-hoo. And I'm hoping it's to been, make this... It's been a few weeks since we had a quiz. I know. We're going to rectify that. A few facts from Mercury history, um, some of which may help to determine what it is that makes a winning album. Are you ready, Rob? Uh, ready as I'll ever be, Jack. Do you know who has the most Mercury prize wins wins oh i'll give you a clue <sighs> only one person or act has won it twice 
Right. I should probably know this. Um, is it the Arctic Monkeys? It is not. But they have been nominated a lot of times. It was PJ Harvey um, oh, in 2001 yeah, yeah, yeah. and 2011 for uh, Let England Shake and Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. And um, interestingly, both occasions were rare examples of an artist winning it a fair number of albums into their career. Because as mentioned before, there's usually a kind of leaning towards uh, debut albums or early breakthrough <coughs> albums. It's a good sign. Good sign for it's us. Good sign if, if we get nominated early on. Another reason not to mess it up on this first album. Well, indeed. Strike while the iron's hot because it's all downhill after album two. Most nominations and this act have had five nominations. I feel like someone like Elbow would, are always nominated. Well, I'm going to go for Elbow. It's not a bad guess. I believe they've been nominated about three times, won it once. They, def- they definitely won it, yeah. No, the answer was Radiohead. Ah, yeah, yeah. They've uh, never won it, but been nominated five times. Uh, um, always the Mercury Prize. Prize maze, maze. never the <laughs> pride. <laughs> always a prize maze, never a prize. And do you remember the last winner in 2019? Uh, yes, it was Dave. It was a great album. Correct. Great album. Dave, Psychodrama. Won it in 2019. Yep. Does that mean that uh, similar British rap artists stand more of a chance or less of a chance this year? Who knows? Who knows how the judges think? Yeah, maybe less. Maybe less, yeah. They, they always do. like to be seen like they're do on like to trend, mix it up don't a bit. they? Yeah, like to mix it up. Well, Skepta won it, didn't he? Skepta oh, that going to be the answer to another Yeah, question? that was a couple of years before, I think. Um, a few years before, so, yeah. So we shall see. Any idea what the best-selling winner was? So there's was, was actually four albums that have won it, which have sold over a million copies. In a chronological order, Different Class by Pulp, won in 1996. Franz Ferdinand's self-titled debut album, won in 2004. This album seen Kids by Elbow in 2008. And oh, this isn't chronological. Whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not by the Arctic Monkeys in 2006. Mm, so an interesting question because some of them have had longer to sell the albums, but maybe not as many. Ooh, Indeed. Because of the pulp, uh, pulp have had a bigger head start there. Plus they were at a time when maybe people bought more albums. Let's go with... Let's go for Elbow. Again. It wasn't Elbow. No, it was yeah, Arctic Monkeys. 1.86 million. Damn. I've got a few either or questions. Do Quick you fire. think more groups or solo artists have won the Mercury Prize? Good question. My instincts definitely say groups, but I think that's because I'm being biased towards more. There's definitely been more individuals late, uh, lately. I think it's pretty close. I'm going to go individuals. Just pipping it. Incorrect. 16. Oh my God. 16. I'm going to get zero on this quiz. <laughs> I think you got you got Dave right. So there's one in the bank. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, 16 yes. groups versus 12 so artists. So fairly split. Uh, debut albums or non-debut albums? Which has won it more? Oh, now I just think you're trying to trick me on all these questions. Because I think I'm going to go with my instincts. Debuts. Is correct. Yes, yeah, 17 of the 28 albums have been debuts, as far as I can make out from reading discographies. Yeah. 
good job that was the right answer because it would have gone completely contradicted your point of the uh, of first album or early albums. Really, yeah, really no, the, I'm, uh, I'm glad. Prize more. I'm glad I <laughs> backed that up with cold hard fact. With cold hard stats. Well, that'll do. You you got a couple right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, what does that tell us? Not a lot, but if as a group we are slightly more likely to win, and uh, as uh, debut artists. Yeah. It's slightly more likely to win. One thing which... Yeah, that's good. That's positive. One other bit of trivia, which might be interesting and relevant to us, is the uh, length of albums. I did a bit of number crunching. Um, in the first kind of decade, in the 90s, the average length was um, 57 minutes, which is pretty long. Mm. And the next, in the noughties, it was 48, and it's down to 42 in the last decade. So I think people's attention spans... Are getting shorter and okay. shorter, so snappier that's, albums. That's, that's good. Are more in demand. Well, uh, means we have to do less tracks. Yeah, I think we can uh, get that down to about five minutes for an album. Brilliant. So put all those facts and uh, figures into the algorithm, Jack, and we should spit us out a nice Mercury winning album. I would have thought so. Yeah, until this year's data completely <laughs> skews it. Maybe we should wait. Yeah. The the award ceremony I think is in September, so we'll. Um, We'll do a brief reporting back after that to let we'll you know do a reaction. just how far off the mark we were with our analysis. <laughs> so that's it for another episode of the Tune Lighting Podcast. Thanks again for listening in, for joining us. Um, if this was the first episode you found or listened to, then do go back and listen to uh, some of the other episodes we've got. We've started doing some interviews. We started varying things up a bit. I mean, it's podcast started out with me and Jack basically just chatting about uh, making music and uh, how we would approach the task of writing an album in a year and as you can tell from today's episode we're now looking at things a bit differently and uh, asking a few more questions like what makes a great album and uh, yeah I think I um, learned a lot listening to those uh, new albums and uh, hopefully can apply some of that to uh, our album making process. Please do write in to let us know you're listening um it's tunelighting at musicianshq.com i'll leave a link to that email in the description and we're also now on all the social medias as well trying to post some more little updates of uh, songs and various things and uh, little clips so we're at tunelighting on twitter instagram facebook and as we mentioned at the start of the episode we now have a band name which is the bear tax so Keep an eye out for when we set up some social media for that. I'll be posting links on the Tune Lighting Twitter, Facebook. Once the Bear Tax accounts are up and running. So, as always, I'll ask you, if you haven't already, please do give the podcast a like and a subscribe. And then we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.